morning, Orchard. How you guys doing today? Hey, today we are wrapping up our summer series called You Asked For It. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to miss that song. You know, you, you should see everybody, the band, everybody backstage, you know, as they're playing that. We're like back there busting a move, but we'll save that for backstage. Hey, take out your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 23, verse 32 in your Bibles, your mobile devices, whichever you choose to use uh, this morning. If you need a Bible, we'll actually put the verses on the screen to help you out. As I said, today we're wrapping up our series called You Asked For It, where we've been answering your questions and topics. You guys gave us like over 100 topics and questions, and we've been answering them with our number one value you heard Orchard Church, which is, help me out, what does the Bible say? And so today we're kind of officially ending this series and we're answering questions about forgiveness. A lot of you guys ask questions about how do I forgive someone who has hurt me, betrayed me, done me wrong? How do I learn to forgive them? And we're going to learn this lesson from Jesus Christ, the greatest forgiver. And we're going to be looking at some words that he said on the cross, some famous last words of Jesus that are going to help uh, to apply to our life how we forgive others the way that he forgave us. And so before we jump into it too far, because this is a pretty serious message today, let me lighten it up just a little bit as we think about famous last words of Jesus. Um, let me ask this question. By a show of hands, how many of you would agree that men sometimes say and do some dumb things? Would you raise your hand? Okay, raise them up. Keep them up high. Now look around. There's some men with their hands up right now just to prove my point. And, and a lot of times men have famous last words that they say before they do something really dumb. For example, uh, one guy said, uh, you know, hey, I've never tried this with a chainsaw before. What could go wrong? <laughs> Famous last words. Or uh, I'm not an electrician. How hard could it be? Famous last, ladies ever heard those words? Or this is a real famous one of guys. They'll say, hey, hey, watch this. And then it's like all over after that. And then here's some really famous last words that unfortunately some men have said. It's in the form of a question they've asked to another lady. So when are you due? And maybe she's not. Now you laugh at that, but this actually happened to your pastor. A couple of years ago, right here at Orchard Church, I was greeting people after church, and this lady came by, and I, you know, I've always been really gun-shy about, you know, when are you expecting, you know, when do you do, and, and I, I saw this lady, and I'm like, man, she's got to be just within a few weeks, you know, probably a given birth. I was feeling really confident, so I asked her, I said, so when are you due? She just stared at me. She goes, due for what? I said, aren't you expecting? She said, expecting what? I was praying in my heart, Lord Jesus, come quickly, like right now. This would be the perfect moment for the rapture. I was like, I didn't even, I, I was starting to sweat. My heart was pounding out of my chest. I didn't know what to say. I was in big trouble. And then she burst out laughing and she goes, I'm doing four weeks. I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm like, you just gave me a heart attack. I was like, that's the meanest trick someone has ever played on me in my life. So from that day forward, I've never asked again. I mean, you can be like, you know, in labor, and I'm not going to ask you that question. I've actually been with my wife, and I'll say, is she, is she expecting, is she pregnant? My wife's like, yeah, can't you tell? I'm like, hey, I'm not taking any chances <laughs> any longer. Famous last words that sometimes men say. Well, hey, today we're going to look at some serious, famous last words of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. If you are there, uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 32, and this is when Jesus is on the cross, 
and he's in his final hours of life before he dies and gives up his life for us. And there's a great lesson here that helps all of us to apply to our lives in the area of forgiveness, forgiving someone that's hurt us or done us wrong. And I hope this will be an encouragement and challenge to all of you today. It says in Luke 23, 32, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, with Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now, if you've been in church any time, you know this story. You know about Jesus being on the cross. You know, we talk about it, especially during Easter and things like that. And sometimes we can just read through this, and so quickly we miss the context of what is actually happening and what is about to take place next. So I want us to just pause for a second. I want us to just... Sit on this and, and just listen to what is going on, what has led up to this point where Jesus is on the cross between two criminals. Let me remind you, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was the most loving and caring and compassionate man to ever walk the face of this earth. He healed people. Um, he met their needs. He healed the blind, the deaf, the diseased. He raised people from the dead. He lived a life of service to everyone. He taught other people to do the same. But not everybody loved Jesus. He had some enemies, but yet he never retaliated against his enemies. And it was his own friend, a man named Judas, one of his friends, one of his very own disciples who had been with him for three and a half years that betrayed Jesus. It led to him being arrested, he was put on a mock trial, and he was falsely accused. Pilate, one of the leaders that Jesus came before, he examined him and he questioned him. He said, I find no fault in this man. He hasn't done anything wrong. Why do you guys want to hurt him? Why do you want to harm him? Why do you want to crucify him? And so Pilate came up with an idea. Well, maybe if I just rough him up and I beat him and scourge him, maybe that will suffice the Jewish people and the religious leaders. So he had him beaten. He had him whipped. Um, history tells us it would have been a cat of nine tails, nine leather strips uh, with beads of lead and glass sewn into the leather. So when it would hit the skin, it would rip the skin from the body. They then mocked him. They made fun of him, they spat on him, they, they punched him, they put a crown of thorns into his skull. The Bible says that when Pilate brought him out before the people, hoping that would be enough to then let him go, he was unrecognizable as a man. And then if that wasn't enough, the beatings and the scourgings and the mockings, they nailed him to a cross. And what's amazing is there's no recorded words of Jesus as he's going through all of this. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 53, 7 says this, He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said what, church? He never said a word. And then we come to Luke 23, 32. He's hanging on the cross between two criminals, and his lips begin to move, and he's about to say something. What did he say? Oh, 
be like a dream no more. The other It's like a lack. That's the scene. You know, if I had been there that day, and Jesus is about to speak after everything he's gone through up to this point, and he said nothing, I would want to hear what he was about to say, wouldn't you? Would he curse his enemies? Would he pray for relief that he could come down off the cross? What is he going to say? Well, here's what he said in verse 34. Jesus said, let's say it together, church, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. After everything that had been done to him, he prays a prayer for the very people that put him there. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. What's the practical? practical application for us today when it comes to forgiveness, to people who have hurt us, to people who have betrayed us, to people who have mistreated us. Well, let me ask you this question by a show of hands. How many of you have ever been hurt by somebody? Raise your hand. That should be everybody. What's interesting is there's, there's so many broken and damaged relationships today, and not just out there in the world, but even among Christianity and, and Christians. So many broken relationships, so, so many marriages. I mean, you'd think that as Christians, we'd be able to get along with each other and we wouldn't hurt each other and we'd be able to show grace and mercy and forgiveness. But yet, you see, even Christian marriages, vows get broken, promises get broken, unfaithfulness takes place with people that we plan to live happily ever after with. Children get hurt by their parents, of all people, parents who, if anyone should love us unconditionally and be there to support us, encourage us, and praise us, I know adult children that are still struggling to get over the pain and the hurt and the neglect and abuse and words of mom or dad in their life. And parents who've been let down by their children, who've walked away from them, disowned them, mistreated them, dishonored them, went down a path, they begged and pleaded and prayed they would not go down. How many of us have been hurt by a sibling, a brother, a sister, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle? I, I know people that have had someone in their family that has betrayed them, mistreated them, said something to them, and, and there's this bitterness and this grudge that's held for years and years. People that don't, won't go to the family reunion because somebody else in the family will be there. And then there's our friends, people that we called our friends and believed to be our friends like Judas was to Jesus, or so we thought, and yet betrayed him and, and let him down. And we're hurt by that. Maybe now they gossip about us. Then there's people at work. Anybody ever been hurt by somebody at work? A coworker, a boss, treated unfairly? This is what happens in the world. Now, this would never happen in the church, right? No one in the church would ever let you down or upset you, right? Because we're all perfect, right? Of course not. There are people, we all know them, that will not darken the doors of a church today because somebody hurt them at church a long time ago. Maybe it was even a pastor that hurt them. And we carry this pain, and a lot of Christians are walking around wounded and bitter and angry and hold grudges. So what do we do when someone has hurt us. 
in that way. What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. Now, this is a tough message, y'all. This, this is a tough one today. And what, what I'm going to tell you is simple to understand but hard to apply. What do we do when someone has hurt us? And as I'm talking about this right now, God through the Holy Spirit is convicting some of you and he's bringing someone to your mind, maybe multiple people to your mind that have hurt you. What do we do? Here's what we do. Not easy, but right. We do what Jesus did. We follow his example. And what did he do? Two simple things. You have them in your notes. When someone hurts you, you do what Jesus did. And the first thing is this. What did he do? You pray for them. That's what Jesus did. He said, Father. He calls on his Father, and he's praying a prayer for them. Now, when I say we pray for the people that hurt us, don't pray for their destruction. Okay? I mean, don't pray like, okay, God, get them. God, give them hemorrhoids. I know you can do that. Give them a big canker sore. Give them a big zit, you know, before a big day. If you want to get even with your pastor, don't pray that I'll have nightmares about cats, okay? So when we say pray for them, we're not praying for their destruction. You say, well, would a Christian ever do that? Not only would a Christian do that, but did you know the disciples did that? A couple of the disciples? There's a story about two of the disciples, James and John, that uh, the, the disciples and Jesus were going to go through uh, a Samaritan village on their way to Jerusalem, but the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Samaritan village said, no, you can't go through here and take a shortcut. We don't like you guys. You need to go around. And so James and John were a little bit upset about this. Now, when you think about John in the Bible, those of you that know your Bibles, John, you read the book of John, his gospel, he's the beloved disciple. He loved people and cared for people. But this isn't recorded in the gospel of John. It's recorded in Luke's gospel about John. And here's what James and John wanted to do to the people that were their enemies that wouldn't let them go through the Samaritan village. It says, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Well, that's a Christ-like response, isn't it? Jesus, we'll take care of them. Can we just, just let us call down some fire? Let's be honest. Don't put your halos on right now. Let's be honest. Have you ever wanted to call down fire from heaven on somebody that did you wrong? I have. That's our natural human reaction. And that's what, I mean, we're in, you know, don't feel so bad. Even two of the disciples wanted to do this. But notice what Jesus said. But Jesus turned and he what? He rebuked them. He rebuked them. He said, no, 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 guys. That's not how Christians respond. That's not what Christ followers do when we pray for people. We don't pray for their destruction. But that's the way a lot of people live today. We want to get even. We want to get revenge when we're, when we're wounded and we get bitter and we get angry and we're, we're full of all this unforgiveness. Notice in this passage when Jesus prayed for them and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Who is he praying for? The most unlikely group of people. He's praying for the very people that put him on the cross, that mocked him, that spat in his face, that made fun of him, that beat him, that put a crown of thorns on him. He's praying for the Roman soldiers that carried this out. He's praying for the religious leaders that wanted him removed. He's praying for the Jewish nation that said, crucify, crucify, crucify him. He's praying for them. Father, forgive them. You say, well, does it ever help or change things when we pray for our enemies and people that have persecuted us? Sometimes it does. It did in this story, because if you go further in the Gospels and you get to the book of Acts, what you're going to find is that Peter is preaching a message of the Gospel to the Jewish people, and 3,000 people accepted Christ, and some of those very people were the very ones that put Jesus on the cross that he prayed for. What a lesson for us. We should never give up 
on praying for people to come to God. Amen? The greatest thing we can pray for our enemies and those that hurt us and betray us and persecute us is to pray that God would turn their life around. That's what Jesus did, and it worked. For some of them, it worked. Jesus taught this, and then he modeled it on the cross. It's one thing to teach it. It's another thing to live it out, and Jesus did both. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus had taught this to his disciples. He said, you have heard that the law says, love your neighbors and what? Hate your enemy. I mean, that's easy. That's what the world does. That's what society does. Love people that love you and hate people that hate you. But Jesus calls us to a higher standard. He raises the bar every time. This is what Christianity is about. He says, but I say, say it, church, love your enemies. Boy, that's easy to say. Hard to do, isn't it? But that's what Jesus told us to do, and he modeled it for us. He says, love your enemies. And what, church? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who mistreat you the same way Jesus did on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. You know, society says something completely opposite. Society and culture today would say if somebody hurts you, then you hurt them. You know, you get even with them. You write them off. You take revenge. There was a show on TV uh, recently. I don't know if it's still on. Hope, hope not. On ABC called Revenge. Did you know there's websites that you can go to like, you know, GetEven.com. Don't write that down. Well, you can get even with people that have hurt you. But Jesus Christ says, if you're a Christ follower, if you put your faith and trust in me, then I'm calling you to a higher standard. You pray for them. You pray for those people who've hurt you. And here's one reason why. You have it in your notes. My prayer for others may or may not change them, but it always changes me. Let me say that again. My prayer... For others that have hurt me may or may not change them. That's between them and God. But it always changes me. And I'm going to wait long enough until somebody responds in a favorable way to that because it's true. My prayer may or may not change them. But it always changes me. You say, Pastor, how does it change me? How does it change you? How does, how does that work? It changes my heart, doesn't it? It changes my attitude. It, it takes a weight off of my life and my shoulders that I've been holding a grudge against someone, a root of bitterness against someone. It may not change them, but it always changes me. It always changes us. Jesus says, pray for them. And, and can I just add this in to be practical? Um, we need to watch the Facebook posts. Amen? We need to watch. And listen, I have, I have nothing against Facebook. I love Facebook. I have an account. I'm on there. I think Facebook and social media can be a wonderful tool to pray for people and, and be positive and encouraging, but it can also be used for evil. And it's interesting to me that we call it Facebook, but some of the things that people write on Facebook about other people, they would never say to their face. Isn't that interesting? Maybe we shouldn't say it at all. Maybe we should do what Jesus told us to do. Pray for them and model for us to do. You see, I learned this a long time ago, and I put it, before I talk to others about people, I should talk to God about people. Before I talk to others about people, I should talk to God about people. Am I talking to God as much about people that have hurt me and betrayed me and mistreated me as I am to other people? That's a question we need to answer. So let me ask you this morning, Orchard Church, who's hurt you? Who's coming to your mind? Where's their relationship that could be restored today by you beginning to pray for them, like Jesus told us to do and model. And not only did Jesus pray for them, if you think that's tough, you know what the next one is? 
forgive them. Jesus tells us not only to pray for them, but to forgive them. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He was saying to his heavenly Father, I want to see them restored. He reveals in this prayer man's greatest need, which is for forgiveness. You, you see, Jesus was always about restoration. He always wanted to restore broken relationships. He always wanted to heal broken relationships. If you agree, say yes. That's what his life was all about. And then if we are Christians, Christian means little Christ or Christ follower. We are supposed to take on the same characteristics and attitude that Jesus did. To love people, to forgive people, even when it's difficult. Why? Because it restores relationships that have been broken. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. And man, I tell you what, if there's a verse that America needs right now, it's this verse. We all need to memorize this and we need to apply this. Never pay back what, church? Evil with more evil. Would you agree with me that that's the problem in America right now? People are trying to repay evil with evil. And you know, the world is always going to respond that way. But as Christians, as Christ followers, as believers, as children of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus calls us to a higher standard. And he says, we can't act like that. We can't fall into that trap and play that game. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. In other words, the world ought to see that Christians are different. You know, we live in some pretty dark times in America right now and the things that are going on. But here's what I believe. The darker the day, the brighter our light can shine. And people can say, wow, you know, you guys respond differently than the world. You, you still love. You still show grace. You still show mercy. You still show forgiveness. You, you're res responding. And why is that? Well, let me tell you. It's because of my Savior, Jesus Christ, and how he lived, and he told me to live the same way. I think we've got one of the greatest opportunities that we've ever had in America right now to promote the cause of Christ. I really believe that. I was hoping somebody else did too. <laughs> Y'all are awfully quiet. Here's what Paul said. Do all that you can to live in peace with most people. With some people. Is that what it says? No, do all that you can to live in peace with, say it, everyone. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what they said about me. You don't know that everyone. Everyone means everyone. Everyone. Do all that you can. Now, sometimes you do all you can, and they still don't want to live with peace with you. That's between them and God. Amen? But you can do your part. And you, you might be amazed how it might restore a broken relationship. Dear friends, never take revenge. You know what the word never means in Greek? Never, okay? Dear friends, never take revenge. But here's what we're supposed to do. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. I learned a long time ago that God will take care of people better than I will. I'll let him work it out. I'll let him sort it out. We all give an account to God someday. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. You say, but I need to do something. I have to respond somehow. What do you do? Well, look, he goes on. This will help you. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. You say, why would I do that? Okay, if you want to get back at your enemies, here's a biblical way that God told us to get back at them. If you're nice to people who've been mean to you and you treat them well, in doing this, you will, keep, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. That's what the Bible says. You want to get even with people that have hurt you and mistreated you? Be really nice to them. It annoys the heck out of them. That's the biblical way, amen? That's how you get even with them and you leave the rest to God. 
Because you can't change others. I can't change others. But we can change ourselves, And we can change our attitude. And we can change our spirit towards them. Now let me clean a couple of things up right now because I know what some of y'all are thinking practically. So if I forgive someone, am I supposed to just enter back into a relationship like nothing ever happened? No, not necessarily. Because Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you trust them. Amen? There's people in my life that I have forgiven. I have that weight gone, but I don't trust them. We need to use wisdom and discernment. The Bible says forgive them. It doesn't say trust them. Trust, trust is broken in a moment, but it's earned over months and weeks and years and a lifetime. So just because you forgive doesn't mean you immediately trust. And also, thank God the Bible tells us to forgive. It doesn't tell us to forget. Because we're human. And when you forgive, it begins to heal the wounds and the pain. But there may be a scar for a lifetime that's there. And you don't forget. You know, God has the ability to forgive, the Bible says, our sins and to forget our sins. The Bible says when, when he forgives us, he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. He buries them in the depths of the sea and he remembers them no more. Aren't you thankful for that kind of forgiveness from our God? Amen. Can we celebrate that? He does forgive and forget. We don't have that ability as humans. And God knew that. So forgiveness doesn't mean you immediately trust and forgiveness doesn't mean that you, you forget. But it does open the door for restoration and healing and taking the weight off of us. Bitterness usually hurts us much more than it hurts the other person. A lot of times they don't even know we're mad. So how do we apply this? We've got to do what God calls us to do and we've got to do it now and do it today. You put this off to next week to apply this, you'll never apply it. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to pray for? What relationship do you need to seek to have restored? And lest I ever challenge you guys with something that I'm not willing to apply myself, I want to share a story with you. Several years ago, I was preparing for a couple of weeks to bring a message about forgiveness to Orchard Church, a message very similar to the, this one. And what you guys need to understand is that before I bring a message from God's Word that maybe challenges you and speaks to you and convicts you here on Sunday morning, I've been studying for this for weeks so guess who's been challenging Pastor Doug? Guess who's been convicting Pastor Doug? Guess who God's been speaking to? And then, if that's not enough, I have to preach it three times on Sunday. I mean, I can't get away with anything. And I was preparing this message like this about forgiveness, and I started getting really convicted because there was a, a, another man in my life, a friend of mine, used to, be a, used to be a friend of mine. We were in ministry together. We were on a ministry team together. And for several years, he was one of my best friends. And then some things happened where he betrayed me. He said things about me. He mistreated me. I was hurt very deeply. And then our relationship was severed. And I had not spoken to him in over 10 years. And I tried to convince myself that I was over it and that I had forgiven him. But yet, I would still, when I thought about him, it wasn't good thoughts because of what he had done to me. And I was preparing a few years ago for this a message just like this about forgiveness. And I felt like God was saying, listen, Doug, you cannot preach this message to Orchard Church till you first apply it in your own life, lest you be a hypocrite. And nobody wants to follow a leader who's a hypocrite. Amen? And so I knew what I had to do. I tried to rationalize it away. Oh, I've forgiven him in my heart. And God said, call him. I'm like, what? He said, call him. So I picked up the phone. I called my friend that I had not spoken to in over 10 years. I didn't even know if he'd take my phone call. And he picked up the phone. I said, hey, 
called him by name. I said, it's Doug. He said, Doug who? And I knew he knew my voice. He goes, Doug who? And I said, Doug Dameron. He goes, no, it's not. And I go, yeah, it is. He didn't even believe it was me because he knew what had happened in our relationship and the things he had done and things he had said. And I said, hey, listen, I just, I've been studying about forgiveness. And I said, I'm getting ready to preach this message to my church on Sunday. And God really has been convicting me. I have been harboring resentment and hurt and pain and bitterness to you for 10 years. Maybe you didn't even know it, but I have. And I just need to say to you, I'm sorry. And I am going to forgive you. I just want you to know I forgive you. And I still care about you. And I still love you. And that's what I had to do. There was a moment of silence that seemed like five minutes on the other end of the line. And he began to speak, choking back tears. And he said, I can't believe that you've called me. I've tried to pick up the phone to call you to ask you to forgive me a hundred times and just could never do it. And God supernaturally restored our relationship. We went on and talked for probably 45 minutes about our family and life. And, you know, God did something amazing. Now, I didn't know if he was going to respond like that or not. And even if he hadn't, I still had peace in my heart that I did what God had called me to do. Thankfully, God used it in a powerful way. And see, what's sad is a lot of people wait too late to ask for forgiveness or to forgive someone that's hurt them. I've been in full-time vocational ministry for over 25 years, and I've done my fair share of funerals and memorial services, and I can't tell you how many times I've been in one of those services or preparing with the family for one of those services, and a friend or a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or a mom or a dad or a brother or sister is sobbing and crying their eyes out about this person who's passed away because they had a severed relationship for many years, and they never made it right, and they never sought forgiveness. They never gave forgiveness, and it was too late but here's the deal church as the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to some of you guys right now and your heart's probably pounding out of your chest because you know there's somebody you need to forgive for some of you many of you it's not too late amen it's not too late there's someone in your life that you still have a chance to forgive and let it go it's not too late and I want to challenge you today, before this day is over, pick up the phone like I did. Make that call. Drive your car. Go see who you need to see. And offer the same forgiveness to someone else that Jesus gave to us. And, and, and on, follow his example where he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Whether it's in a marriage that needs to be restored, a friendship with a child, with a parent, a coworker, whoever it is. And I know this is tough. I know this is hard. But it's, it's one of the most freeing and amazing things when you apply it to your life. Doing the right thing is never easy, is it? So let me help you with this as we wrap this up. How do I practically learn to forgive someone who has hurt me so deeply? And I understand some of you have been hurt in ways that I could never fathom or imagine. But the last time I checked, none of us were nailed to a cross. None of us had a crown of thorns put on our head or a spear through our side. And yet, those are the people Jesus forgave. So whoever has hurt you, here is the secret, how you can actually forgive them if you're a Christian. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, that's Christians, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility. It takes humility to forgive someone. 
gentleness and patience. Those are all the ingredients and the characteristics that lead us to forgive. Be tenderhearted with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All things that Jesus modeled for us. Make allowance for each other's faults. In other words, we like it for people to cut us some slack when we make a mistake. We need to cut some other people some slack. Amen? We like people to give us a break. We need to give them a break. We're human. We make mistakes. We mess up. Make allowance for each other's faults. And what, church? Forgive. Forgive anyone. It excludes nobody. Forgive anyone who offends you. And here's the secret. Remember this. The Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. That's the key right there. If we'll grasp that. The Lord forgave you. The Lord forgave me. So I must forgive others in the way that I have experienced His incredible forgiveness. And I hope this will speak to some of you. As I look back, and I look back on my life, if I were to take all the wrongs that anyone has ever done to me, said to me, mistreated me, made fun of me, betrayed me, times a thousand, it wouldn't even come close to all the times that I have let God down, that I've mistreated God, that I've betrayed God with my actions, and yet He forgave me, and He forgave you of all my sins, past, present, and future. And He says, you now forgive others the same way I have forgiven you. I don't know about you guys, but I would say that doesn't let any of us off the hook. Amen? And here's the thing. When man was at his worst in what they did to Jesus... Jesus was at his best, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then as Christ followers, he calls us to do the same, to do the same. Pray for them and forgive them. Heavenly Father, we know this is a difficult message. It's so challenging because we all have people in our lives that have mistreated us, hurt us, abused us. But we need to apply this to forgive others in the way that you've forgiven us and experience the freedom and the victory of that and maybe even some miraculously restored relationships in our midst today. So we continue in an attitude of prayer right now with nobody looking around. Let me just ask you this. Who do you need to forgive today is there someone in your life that you need to forgive or maybe for some of you who do you need to seek forgiveness from maybe you've done something to someone you need to ask them to forgive you what relationship in your life needs to be restored how many of you as believers in Jesus Christ today you'd say you know what God has spoken to me today God has convicted me today there's someone I need to forgive like Jesus forgave me, or there's someone I need to forget, ask forgiveness of. Can I pray for you? Would you slip up your hands nice and high all across this auditorium? I need to forgive someone. Anyone like that? I need to ask forgiveness. God bless you. Hands everywhere. God bless you. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only. We pray that as Christ followers, we would understand that we have been called to a higher standard, something different than the world and culture, and that we would forgive as you have forgiven us we'd apply this to our lives and that you would do miraculous things and that you would restore broken relationships and that we would hear stories of victory out of us living this message out in all of our lives as you continue in attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed 
You know, in this prayer, when Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, he revealed man's greatest need, which is forgiveness. Forgiveness for all our sins. That's why Jesus died on the cross, to forgive us of our sins that separated us from our Heavenly Father. And if you've never received that kind of forgiveness, to have your sins removed, past, present, and future, it's, it's difficult, if not impossible, for you to extend to someone else the forgiveness of Jesus until you first experience that forgiveness in your own life. And so, for some of you today, it's, it's time. It's time for you, and you know who you are. It's time for you to say yes to Jesus, to open your heart and your life to Him, to accept His sacrifice and what He did on the cross for you, to experience His forgiveness, and then you will have the ability to forgive others the same way you have been forgiven. So if that's you today, and you know who you are, and you're ready to open your heart and life and to say yes to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith right now that you can invite Jesus into your life. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put belief and faith behind it, you can be changed today. You can be forgiven today. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? It goes like this. Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want your forgiveness. Forgive me for all my sins. I want to know you. And then help me to share with others the same forgiveness that you have shared with me. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me and dying for me. Thank you. Thank you. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, and when you look around, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I never want to do that, but I'd love the privilege and honor to pray for you. If you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, I want to pray for you that you grow in your walk and relationship from this day forward. Would you just slip up your hand right now without hesitation? God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? Just slip it up. Put it down. Yes. Several people. God bless you. Thank you. I prayed that prayer. I meant it. Several people. In all three of our services today, people accepting Christ, accepting His forgiveness. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for those that put their faith and trust in you today for the first time. I pray that they would grow in their walk and relationship with you from this day forward. As a church family, Lord, uh, we celebrate their decision. We welcome them as brothers and sisters in the family of God. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, that died for us on the cross 2,000 years ago to forgive our sins and, and that made it possible for us to forgive others the way that you've forgiven us. May many relationships be restored with you and with each other as we apply this message, as we're doers of your word and not just hearers today. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we celebrate and welcome some new brothers and sisters in Christ and the family of God? Amen. Amen. Listen, um, if you made a decision to accept Christ, you raised your hand, you said, I, I prayed that prayer, I meant it. That's the greatest decision you could ever make. We take that very seriously here at Orchard Church, and we want to help you to grow in your new walk and journey with Jesus. So let us know about your decision on your connection card. Check the box that says, I accepted Christ, and give us your uh, mailing address, and we'll send you a little book in the mail to help you on your journey with Jesus. We'll also be praying for you. If you're a first-time guest today, thanks so much for being our guest at Orchard Church. Hopefully you filled 
filled out that guest connection card. You can drop it in the offering bucket when it goes by. We receive our gifts in just a moment. We're not interested in your money today, first-time guests, but we're definitely interested in you. And so we're going to send you a thank you note and a gift in the mail. So drop that in. If you are a first-time guest today or newer to Orchard Church and I haven't had the privilege to meet you personally, I'd love to do so. I'll be out in the courtyard uh, right after service uh, by the white tent. So come by and introduce yourself. Well, today is officially the end of You Asked For It series, but I'm going to give you guys some bonus material. And here's how. You guys, uh, so many of you asked questions about the Holy Spirit. That was probably one of the, 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 the most questions we got were about the Holy Spirit that we decided I'm going to do an entire series starting next week, four weeks on the Holy Spirit. It's the first time in 10 years that I've done a whole series on the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the presence of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. I've already started studying. I'm super excited. Anybody excited about that series? It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So we're calling it the ghost. God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. So that's going to start next week. So be sure to be here. Bring a friend. Don't come alone. Come early because next week starts the month of August, one of our largest months of the year, believe it or not. And so it's going to start being hard to find a seat, but that's the way we like it. Amen? So get in here early. Kind of sit toward the middle, make room for those that may be coming in late. It's going to be a great series starting uh, next Sunday. You don't want to miss that. So uh, right now, we're going to check out what else is going on around here at Orchard Church, preview the new series, and we're also going to worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings because we want to be a church that uh, acts our wage by giving first, saving second, and learning to live on the rest. So check this out, and God bless you guys. Sunday, August 7th, come explore the power and comfort of the one who resides within as we begin our new message series about the Holy Spirit called The Ghost. As a church, we're experiencing some amazing growth and we want to continue to see people connect, but we have a big need. We need you to host a small group. This can be an incredible opportunity and experience for you. Check this out. Hi, I'm Jenny. Hi, I'm Eric, and we've been going to Orchard for about a year and a half. At least with me and my personality, if, if I'm not hosting, it's easier for me to stay within my shell. Um, so it helped me just get outside of my shell uh, and get to know people and get involved in the study and actually uh, help me to participate more. I definitely think people are just more relaxed and kind of a home setting. and. And it was nice just to be able to entertain um, people and just um, form relationships that way. You shouldn't feel intimidated by it. Um, you're not really put on the spot or you don't have to have like these super leadership qualities or anything. You can, you know, just kind of facilitate the group and you don't have to feel like you have to know all the right answers. I don't feel like 
I'm this biblical expert who has all the answers, um, but it didn't really need to be. Um, you know, everything was laid out really well. We had the video sessions that had questions that came along with it, even suggested topics and answers along with it. So really, you're just there to facilitate. Um, you're just there to, to greet people and just help them to feel welcome. If you'd be willing to host a small group this coming fall semester, simply fill out the small group host insert in your newsletter and drop it off in the offering bucket at the end of our service. If you recently began attending Orchard Church and want to know more about us, we'd like to invite you to our Starting Point class. At Starting Point, you'll find out what Orchard's all about, where we're headed, and how you can get connected. It's a great place to start. Our next class will be Sunday, August 7th at 9.50 a.m. in room B118. Just sign up on your connection card today. Hey, Fuel students! This Wednesday is Fuel United, where we combine middle school and high school students for one unified service. There will be games, giveaways, worship, a message, and free pizza. This is a perfect opportunity to invite your friends. For more info, visit the Fuel table in the lobby today. It's shoebox time! As part of our feeding center ministry, we send Christmas shoeboxes filled with goodies to our kids in the feeding centers in Haiti, Mexico, and the Philippines. To be a part of this fun ministry, simply fill out the shoebox information card in your newsletter and turn it into the shoebox table located in the courtyard. Be sure to get your boxes early because they do go quickly. Due to import restrictions in Mexico, you can sponsor a child for $15 to receive a Christmas gift instead of filling a box. This is the end of our service today. Thanks so much for worshiping with us. Have a great day and we'll see you next week. Thank you.